0: Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Isaiah writes about that amazing grace in chapter 50. Let the one who walks in darkness and has no ray of light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on God. Many of you know the name Johnny Erickson Tada. Over 50 years ago, When she was a teenager, Johnny went swimming in the Chesapeake Bay with her sister, Kathy. She dove into shallow water, and she broke her spinal cord. And as a result, she became a quadriplegic. For over 50 years, Johnny has been in her own form of quarantine. Living in a wheelchair, unable to move her hands, her feet, her legs, her torso. But Johnny loves Jesus. And it is because of Jesus and the hope that he gave her after her accident that Johnny has become a well-known artist. She holds the brush between her teeth. And an author, an advocate for the disabled, and the founder of Johnny and Friends, a gospel-empowered ministry for the disabled across the globe. Johnny is always an inspiration for me. So, last Thursday, I listened to an interview on a national podcast by her. During the podcast, she was sharing about the depression that she was in after her accident, and she then shared what was for her the tipping point. She said, I know on this podcast that there are many listeners of different faith journeys and religious backgrounds, but let me say During that depression, someone showed me a verse in Isaiah 50. For anyone who walks in darkness, who has not one ray of light, let that person trust in the name of the Lord and lean upon God. What great advice. God had kicked out all the props underneath and I had nowhere to lean. So I leaned on him because I wanted out of the darkness. And I thank God for what he has done. Now that is a testimony of good news. Good news for all of us during this time of darkness. Lean on Jesus. So before we take a look at God's word, let me offer a prayer of leaning on Jesus. Please join me. O eternal God, Father, Son, and Spirit, there are many listening here who are in darkness. We just feel it around us, things so closed in. Jesus, you're the light. By your death and resurrection, you have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So through the power of your Holy Spirit, shine light into our hearts and church, turn each one of us listening here right now, turn us to you, to faith in you. We ask it. In that great name, Jesus Christ, amen. I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through uh, 5 will be my text this morning. We're starting today a five-Sunday series on this book of 1 Corinthians. Well, actually better, since we're not going to cover the entire book, uh, on a major focus of this book, which is the church the local church. I started this series on the church last week with a sermon about Jesus' promise while he was here on earth. Matthew 16, I will build my church. That's Jesus' promise. And it is as good as gold in these COVID times. Francis Chan said this, Jesus' church will make it through this pandemic. We have his promise, I will build my church. Amen. But here's the thing so much of what we associate with church, certainly here in the U.S., so much of that is gone right now. I'll use my own church as an example Stone Hill. Gathered Sunday morning worship in our sanctuary, gone. Haitian coffee and bagel barn bagels in the, in the atrium, gone. Sunday school for all ages, gone. Global outreach luncheons, gone. Awana Circle in Harris Hall on Wednesdays, gone. Youth group upstairs in the youth room, gone. All gone. And it is unclear how and when these things will come back. But let me say this. Something that's maybe going to sound a little zen, but, but you'll get what I'm saying. When there is no church, you and I need the church more than ever. When there's no church, you and I need the church more than ever. And that's why we're here in 1 Corinthians. In our study of this book, we're going to discover things about the church, the local church. Like, for instance, without the local church, we are at risk of our faith waning. Without the local church, we can quickly lose sight of Christ's transforming power. Without the local church, people around us are that much less likely to understand the gospel meaningfully. We need the local church. And the text that we're starting with in this series, 1 Corinthians 15, it is the place to start, because even though this this text comes so late in the book, it is the heart, it's the foundation, it's the center of everything that Paul writes about in the book. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. This is God's word. When there is no church, Jesus' church is indispensable. And in this text, we find the main reason why that's the case. You and I need the local church to help us remain gospel centered. And this text affirms that in three ways. First, this text affirms that the gospel deserves to be at the center of your life. I mean look at it verse 3. I deliver to you as of first importance. I mean Paul couldn't be more clear. As of first importance, not second, not fifth, not a tie, First. And then Paul then, he then captures the essence of the gospel with four simple, deft statements. Might even be an early creed that we're looking at here. Paul writes, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. First of all, that's, that's, the, that's the saving core of the gospel. Jesus suffering God's judgment in your place for your sins. As Paul will say in a later letter to the Corinthians, God made Christ, who had never sinned, to be the substitute offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God. Next, Paul says that Christ was buried. And if that first statement that Christ died for our sins is something to believe, then this second statement is the tangible evidence for it. People buried Jesus. He was dead, and he was placed in a tomb in accordance with the custom of the time. Third statement, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. There's the proof. There's the proof that Jesus' sacrifice worked. And that your sins and mine are truly forgiven. That Jesus is alive. God accepted his sacrifice. And we are now uh, made right with him. Peace we can have with God. And Paul follows that statement up again with tangible evidence. That he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. This message deserves to be at the center of your life because it changes absolutely everything. So the teaching and the preaching and the programs and the activities of, of any Christ-honoring local church, of Stone Hill Church, these things must be intended to do just that, to keep the gospel at the center. We seek to do that here at Stonehill. Let me just take our Sunday morning worship services. Let's focus in on the music, the songs that we sing, the lyrics. And if you look at the lyrics of the songs that we sing week in, week out, you know, there's not a lot of variety in the subject. (laughs) We're singing about the gospel, about Christ's death and resurrection. We just heard before the sermon, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's the gospel, Amazing, right? After the sermon, spoiler alert, we will be singing the power of the cross. What's it about? The gospel. Last week, you may say to yourself, well, you know, that's this week you're preaching about the gospel. What about last week? Last week, we sang how deep the Father's love for us. What do you think it's about? It's about the gospel. One of the stanzas reads, behold the man upon the cross my sin upon his shoulders. Now, this may sound like I could get old pretty quickly, always singing about Jesus' death and resurrection for our sins. But when your life has been rescued by Christ, when Jesus has transformed you, it doesn't get old. And even on those days when you don't want to, quote, go to church, when you don't want to in this, in this season tune into Facebook, YouTube, church, those are the very days when if, if you let go of yourself, you will be renewed, and the gospel will be brought back to you as of first importance, because the gospel deserves to be at the center of your life. Second, this text affirms that there are plenty of reasons why, left to yourself, the gospel won't stay at the center of your life. Look at the text. Verse 1, Paul begins this in a strange way. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, literally, I'm going to make known to you the gospel that I preached to you. Now, Paul had been in Corinth for a year and a half before he wrote this letter. He did not write this letter while he was in Corinth. He'd been there for a year and a half. And he had with him all kinds of help. Priscilla, Aquila, Silas, and Timothy, just to name four. So four plus Paul. Five people working for 18 months, let's just say. Let's say that they work a normal kind of uh, contemporary work week, eight hours a day, and we'll just say six days a week. All right? So you do all the math there and you multiply it out, and it comes out to almost 19,000 hours. 19,000 hours of gospel ministry to the Corinthians. So why does Paul have to say to them, I am making it known to you? Well, that's because they were slipping away, they were losing their grasp on the gospel. Some people were telling them, hey, you know that resurrection thing that you heard? That's just a myth. And these people were persuasive. They were winning the day. That's why Paul has built into his statements here a couple times what I'd call a soft warning. He says, the gospel that you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast. Actually, the the sense in the original is much closer to since you are holding fast. But then he tacks on at the end, unless you believed in vain. In other words, unless you might never have gotten it in the first place. There were pressures on the Corinthians to let the gospel drift away. And just as then, so now. There are all kinds of pressures and beliefs and movements and organizations and arguments that are out there to to get us to, to dump the gospel, to give up on Jesus, to ditch the resurrection. Let me just mention a few of those movements and pressures. Number one is your own sin and waywardness. I mean, we all wander like sheep. Number two is disappointment with, Chris, disappointment with Christians, excuse me. Christians can hurt. We can become embittered toward them, toward them, and then toward their gospel. Number three, the latest intellectual fads. Number four, the silent assumptions of so many songs and movies and shows and series, you know, that God just doesn't matter. Next would be politics and the way that in our time that it, it so alienates and so clouds the gospel. And, next, and finally, I would just add uh, the new sexual identities that are out there and the vision of the future that they offer. All these things can, can cloud and confuse and make the gospel second, fifth, tenth of no importance. This church... Stonehill Church was started way back in the 1950s, known then as Westerly Road Church, because of a Corinthian reason. Too many churches in the mid-20th century were ditching the gospel, were doing away with the resurrection. And so three siblings, the Harrises, Dorothy Harris, Helen Harris, Butler Harris, decided in the mid-50s that it was time to plant a non-denominational church in Princeton that would preach and would teach the gospel. And in their spirit, I say, woe to Stonehill Church if we do not preach the gospel. And if we do not, like Paul, pull you back into it, provide you with the help you need, to have it be of first importance. There are plenty of reasons why, left to yourself, the gospel won't stay first. Finally, thirdly, this text affirms that the local church is the best way, or let me put it this way, is one of the best ways to keep the gospel at the center of your life. Now, I've really gotten into this, in the course of my second point, but if you look at the text, here we have a local church under Paul's leadership being righted, being reminded as a community, as individuals, being called back to the gospel. Verse 1, I would remind you of the gospel I preached, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved. And from that point on, what Paul does in the rest of this, this, this long chapter, 58 verses, is that he takes the, the Corinthians on a demolition tour, so to speak. He demolishes the arguments of those persuasive teachers who were saying, forget the resurrection. And that's the that's template for a healthy, Christ-oriented gospel-motivated church, a well-structured local church with godly elders and deacons and pastors who are maintaining regular contact with the members. That is the best place for you to get the help that you need in keeping the gospel at the center of your life. And we all need that kind of help. We all need the gospel to stay at the center of our lives. And the people out there need us to have the gospel at the center of our lives. In fact, to make that point, my closing point, let me return to where I started with Johnny Erickson Tada. In spite of all her limitations, Johnny really does get it. She gets the need for the gospel to be at the center of her life, especially during this time of pandemic. I want to read to you again from that podcast interview of last week. She says, I think we are at our best when we remain hopeful, confident in God, and in his hold on the future. I'm a big believer that God permits what he hates in order to accomplish things that he loves. That's been my mantra for almost 53 years in this wheelchair. God permits what he hates this difficult, paralyzing injury, to accomplish something that he loves, and that is, of course, in me, a changed heart and a closer walk with our God. So let's be hopeful. Let's be confident, people, and let's, in these worst of times, be the best followers of Jesus Christ. Amen. I know that my husband and I, we've gotten so much more closely connected with our neighbors. They include a secular Jew, a person from Israel, and a Muslim from Iran here's our chance to have a real impact for Christ, checking up on them and when Ken runs to the grocery market, seeing if he can do errands for them. There are all kinds of ways that we can be at our best, not only demonstrating the gospel, but also declaring it to our neighbors and to our friends. Well said, Johnny. When there is no church, Jesus' church, is indispensable because it helps us remain gospel-centered. And everyone needs us to be gospel-centered. Father God, by your Spirit, bring all of us back to the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, so that that would be of first importance. In his great name we pray. Amen.